been around this spring and summer at Kenilworth Union, you know that Katie and I are preaching this series of sermons on Paul's catalog of virtues in his letter to the Galatians. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit. I've been calling them facets of faithfulness. He writes to the Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And then from the Hebrew Scriptures, just a small snapshot from the sprawling Joseph saga from the book of Genesis. Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites who brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and Joseph became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. And from the time that Potiphar made Joseph overseer of his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was in all that Potiphar had, in house and in field. And so Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's charge. And with him there, with Joseph there, Potiphar had no concern for anything but the food that he ate. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So maybe I've told you before about the senior pastor in the first church that I served out of seminary near Philadelphia. His name was Bob Hogue, and I didn't always realize it at the time, but he was a wonderful senior pastor to learn from at the beginning of my career. Bob could be a bit scattered, though, and he needed a second brain, and he had one. Her name was Carol McGee, his assistant, who served Bob for the 15 years of his ministry in that church. Carol ran the church. She was the senior minister in everything but title, kind of like here. In the dictionary, under chaos, it says, see Carol McGee's desk. Papers and files and those little pink phone message envelopes everybody used to use before voicemail covered every inch of her desk to a height of at least eight inches. And it wasn't like the papers were stacked neatly into square skyscraper shapes. It was a sloping mountain of paper. And if you needed a piece of information, you'd go to Carol's office and she would stick her hand into the middle of that lawless lump and snatch just the right thing you needed in an instant, in the fraction of a second. Carol ran the church. Now, Joseph, the son of Jacob, might have been the Carol McGee of ancient Egypt. Even if you don't read your Bibles, you know Joseph's story from the most biblical Broadway play of them all, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Jacob, the patriarch, has 12 sons. Joseph is the 11th and the favorite. Out of envy and resentment, his brothers sell him into slavery. He eventually makes his way to Egypt, where a wealthy aristocrat named Potiphar buys Joseph at the slave auction. Potiphar owns a sprawling plantation on the Nile, and as soon as Joseph gets there, he proves himself to be accomplished and faithful and eventually becomes the manager of everything that Potiphar surveys. 
And I love this line from the story. So Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and with Joseph there, Potiphar had no concern for anything except for the food that he ate. Apparently, Joseph handled everything on that plantation except for the kofta and kebabs. And then, of course, when through no fault of his own, Joseph ends up in prison, two of his cellmates, Pharaoh's pastry chef and sommelier, entrust Joseph with the interpretation of their dreams, right? And then Pharaoh does the same thing. And Joseph eventually rises to become secretary of agriculture in Pharaoh's cabinet and rescues the entire known world, including his own family, from certain famine and starvation. You could count on Joseph. He was reliable. He was that rare combination of omnicompetent and conscientious. Is there somebody in your life like that? You know, all people, big people with big jobs, busy people, need a right-hand person to organize the rest of their lives for them. Bill Gates needs somebody to organize his life so that he can think about nothing else except inventing windows. Warren Buffett needs somebody to organize his life for him so that he can think of nothing else but what railroad to invest in next. Maybe there's somebody in your life like this, yes? If she agrees to meet you at Starbucks at 9 o'clock, she is there at Starbucks at 9 o'clock every single time. She is the one who will throw a shower for your daughter when she's getting married for 30 guests. If your 12-year-old breaks his finger on the baseball diamond, she is the one who runs over to your house to watch your younger children so that you can go to the emergency room. She keeps her promises and she keeps your secrets. The water borders at the CIA could not make her talk. She will bring your secrets to the grave. You can count on her. And so maybe St. Paul had Joseph in mind when he told the Galatians that one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, one facet of faithfulness is, well, faithfulness, trustworthiness, fidelity. One author called it the virtue of sameness. Yes, I love the way he puts that. The virtue of sameness. It means that across long years of change and growth, through laughter and tears, through bright days of ease and dark nights of despair, we will say, stay true to the same true self, keep the aboriginal commitments and the ancient promises, nurture the long friendships, keep faith with worthy covenants no matter what. The virtue of sameness. Or, I love the way Kierkegaard puts it. Kierkegaard says that suddenness, suddenness is an epiphany of the demonic. It's like a bolt of lightning out of a blue sky, he says. You see what he means? If your feckless behavior comes out of nowhere, like lightning out of a blue sky, then it looks to other people like you are possessed. They have no idea why you've done what you've done or said what you've said or abused the promise you just made. You lack the virtue of sameness. Your customer can't figure out why you can't get that order in on time that he promised, that you promised. Your 10-year-old is baffled when the rules change every day in your home based on your passing whim. Lights out at 9 o'clock one night and midnight the next. 
your wife of 20 years doesn't get it when you're carrying on with your colleague after you made that promise long ago. With my body I thee worship till death do us part. Suddenness is an epiphany of the demonic, says Kierkegaard. And I know you're thinking, it's true. On the football field, suddenness is an epiphany of the divine. It is a thing of beauty to watch Russell Wilson miraculously elude the safety blitz and complete that pass as he falls to the turf or scramble for 15 yards and a first down. Tom Brady just stands there in the pocket like a statue and doesn't move. It works for him, but it is a thing of beauty to watch Russell Wilson scramble. In football, suddenness is an epiphany of the divine. If Cam Newton played football in the Athens Olympics during Paul's day, the Greeks would have made him a god, literally. So in football, suddenness is an epiphany of the divine. But in friendship, in business, in marriage, as parents, suddenness, this sudden change of direction, is an epiphany of the demonic. I was so moved by the memories of Riley Howell that appeared in the memory in early May of this year. Riley Howell was the 21-year-old student who rushed that gunman who started shooting in that classroom at the University of North Carolina in Charlotte on April 30. Riley took one bullet and kept coming. Riley took a second bullet and kept coming. He died after the third bullet, but he was the last person to die that day. Nobody was shot after Riley tackled that gunman. The shooter complained to the paramedics that Riley had tackled him so hard he probably had internal injuries. And when his family heard what he'd done, they'd said, of course, of course that's what he did. He died as he lived. Riley was the first grandchild on both sides, and so he was the oldest cousin and so he was in charge of all the cousin hikes and the shark and the swimming games. He was rugged and muscular and handsome. His 17-year-old cousin Katie said, I named all my boy Barbies Riley because Riley looked like Ken. As a toddler, his first words were in sign language. He signed before he spoke because one of his uncles was deaf. His girlfriend's grandfather had Alzheimer's disease, so the first thing Riley did when he arrived at a family gathering was to head straight for that grandfather. That's not easy for a teenager to talk to a confused elderly person like that. But Riley wanted to know, wanted that old, older man to know that he existed in that room. And as I heard all these memories of this fine young man, it just occurred to me that he was faithful to the last of all his days. He died as he lived reliable. You can count on Riley. Faithfulness is a rare and precious commodity, right? Alexander Pope said that our histories are more full of examples of the fidelity of dogs than of friends. I don't know if that's true or not, but it is provocative, right? So who's the most famous dog in history? If you Google most famous dogs, the usual suspects will come up. Toto, Lassie, Rin Tin Tin, Snoopy, 
Old Yeller. But those are all fictional dogs, right? Or actors playing fictional characters. If you Google most famous dogs, sometimes Hachi will come at or near the top. Do you know about Hachi or Hachiko? The legendary Japanese Akito that the Japanese admire for his loyalty. Hachi is the number eight in Japanese. It's a symbol of good fortune. Hachi was an Akita dog born in 1923. And as a puppy, Hachi joined the family of a Japanese professor named Hidesabaru Uaino. Hidesabaru Uaino. Every morning, Professor Wainu would board the train at the Shibuya train station in Tokyo, teach his classes at Tokyo Imperial University, and take the train home at the end of the day where Hachi would be waiting for him every day. And then they'd walk home together. Hachi was as reliable as a Swiss watch. And this went on every single day for about 18 months until one day in 1925 when Professor Waino did not get off his customary train. He'd suffered a cerebral hemorrhage while lecturing and never made it home. And so you can see where this is going. Every day, without fail, Hachi was outside that station waiting for his master to exit the afternoon train. Rain or shine, snow or sleet, numbing cold or sweltering heat every single day. And this went on for 10 years until Hachi died of natural causes in 1935 at the age of 11. Professor Wayno's widow would occasionally go to the train station to, to return Hachi home, but he would escape and just go back to the train station to wait for his hero and eventually he just lived in the rail yard full-time. He would get his sustenance from kind food cart vendors or shopkeeps. They kept an eye out for Hachi. So I learned about Hachiko from Richard Gere's retelling of the story from a film about 10 years ago. Mr. Gere moved the story from Tokyo to Rhode Island and from 1923 to 2009 and turn the Japanese professor into an American, played by, yes, Richard Gere. But Hachi was still an Akito dog from Japan. Every afternoon, for 10 years, there Hachi would be, waiting for glad reunion with his long-lost hero every single day. In 1934, they erected a bronze statue to Hachi outside the Shibuya train station. During World War II, they melted it down for artillery, but made a new one in 1948 where it still stands, a popular meeting place for the Japanese in Tokyo. It's like, meet me at the bean, or meet me at the water tower, meet me at Hachiko. When Japanese school teachers want to teach their students about loyalty, they tell Hachiko's story. I don't know what I want you to do with that story. 
don't really want you to recapitulate Hachiko's behavior. But if Alexander Pope is right to that in our histories, there are more examples of the fidelity of dogs than of friends, then we have something to work on. Yes? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Lord, keep us faithful, honorable, true, and brave because we depend on each other for our common life together. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.